Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Lex Factor. It's your host, Lauren, here. Can, can I be the host? Yeah, actually, let's start. You go ahead and... Hi, this is Brad Pobble, and I'm your host. Was that good? That seemed, no, like, that can seemed you, bad. That was terrible. That was that terrible. That was trash. Let's try Add, it again. Like, do it from your diaphragm. From like, a di- give it some... Hi. <laughs> no, not no, Mary White's no, no, diaphragm. Okay. Your diaphragm. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a couple inches lower. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I'm going to have to go back to being a co-host. Let's, oh, let's try it again. It's okay. All right. I'm the co-host, Brad. Just Brad. Just Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Thank you. Brad. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Jess Brad and I are here with Stephen Embry again. You guys probably remember him from last episode and his amazing stories and amazing knowledge and insight into the legal tech industry. So welcome back, Stephen. We're glad to have you. Thank you. You are you are too kind. I appreciate it. Thank I'm glad you, to be here. Thank you. I just got to butter you up a little bit. Then you you, you give us all the good stuff. Once <laughs> That's we right. All the good information. Bit. Yeah. All the good <laughs> tips. Um. So yeah, we wanted to just jump right in more about legal tech. And you know, I hate to say it, it's an elephant in the room, but a lot of our episodes talk about COVID and things that have changed due to COVID. And obviously, this year has been super crazy. We we we've all had to adapt very quickly to learning how to do things virtually electronically, just doing things differently. And one of your recent posts, Stephen, talks a lot about the future of court proceedings. And it was actually really interesting to me because I think we're all on the same page that there's probably going to be moving forward, you know, your in-person hearings, your virtual hearings, and probably like a hybrid of both. And I've always thought, you know, a hybrid, it's easy. We're used to it. We've been doing it. It's a new norm. Attorneys want to move forward and still have some sort of a virtual um, adaptation at work. But one of the things you mentioned was the fact that hybrid is actually a little bit more difficult. And when I read it, I was like, you know what, you're right. I didn't even think about it that way. So I'd love for you to just talk about it a little bit and kind of summarize what you were thinking when you wrote that. Sure. Well, and it surprised me too, because (laughs) like you, I, I, and you hear that a lot. We've been doing it for so long now. Yeah. Yeah. Not just with respect to court proceedings, but, you know, conferences, and, yeah. you know, sort of this, this, oh, well, and we'll always have a virtual component. When we go back, it'll be a hybrid conference. Well, okay, you have to think of, think through what that means. But particularly in the court proceedings, when you start, if everybody's in the courtroom, everybody's on the same, it's a level playing field, mm-hmm. right? If everybody's virtual, it's a level playing field. Once you start mixing the two, you have to, to do a few things to make sure that the playing field stays as level as possible. And and there is an equal, it's tried to say equal access to justice, but there has to be some equality. I mean, Mm -hmm. you want the person who's virtual to be able to participate in the same manner as the person who is there in person. You could say, well, okay, you elected to be present virtually, so shame on you. <laughs> and my response to that is, if you're talking about Microsoft versus Apple, mm-hmm. right, and a multi-billion dollar, maybe that's a bad example because they seem to be poor buddies now, but <laughs> multi-billion dollar patent dispute, yeah, that's a valid argument. But if you're talking about... Um, an individual plaintiff who may not have the resources to pay a lawyer to travel yeah, that's someplace a good point. and participate in a courtroom, 
now we're talking about something different, right? Now we're talking about a, what I would say, an unfair advantage. Um, So that, that has to be exercised with care. You know, there have to be multiple cameras in the courtroom too. So you can always see who's talking, for example. Um, there have to be, you have to think through how to do documents and, and how everybody can have equal access. You have to think about sequestering witnesses and what that means. It's a whole host of problems. And and the, the people that I was talking to at, at Opus One who have done a lot of these you know, they, they actually showed me a picture of how they have done some hybrid proceedings. And I think I said in the article, it, it looks like the, you know, the, 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 the bridge on Star Wars. <laughs> but when, think about it. When, when, think about when there's a, a uh, television production of uh, a sporting event. Right? They have these big trailers and they have all these mixers and these people that are shooting that are moving from camera to camera and showing different views from mm-hmm. different cameras based on what's going on on the field. And it's very complicated. I'm more of a proponent of let's either do all virtual or, or let's send everybody back to the courtroom. Yeah. And between, as between those two choices, I would say let's do all virtual. And when you start thinking about conferences, you have sort of the same sort of thing. So you're going to have a conference with some number of people present. One of the biggest advantages of virtual conferences is you don't have to pay for conference facilities, right? Very true. <laughs> and those are some of the so, highest costs. Those are some, I mean, hotels aren't shy. Yeah. About, about exhibit hours aren't shy. So you end up with, you know, basically the same cost but less people, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. it, it, and and so, how are you going to charge for that, right? You're going to charge people more to attend in person yeah. to, to make up that cost. Well, you know how that's going to work. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> who's who's going to go? I'm going to sit in my my little home in my jammies. In my and watch jammies. This. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. Like I, I don't think people realize how much goes into it, though. You know, I'm totally with you with the virtual. I think it's it's definitely moving forward, regardless. That's going to be here to oh. stay to some extent. But I remember in my past life, the first time I ever shot a commercial, we were on set. In the amount of people, I know commercial versus virtual proceedings, whatever. It's not exactly the same, but the amount of people that went into it blew right. my mind. We had two or three people that literally all their job was to run errands or anything thing you needed. So if we were like, oh, I really want a granola bar and they didn't have a granola bar, there would be people that would run and get granola bars for you. Or we ran out of batteries. They had to go to Home Depot and buy batteries and some wood. And obviously, again, not apples to apples, but until you sit in a courtroom or wherever this virtual proceeding takes place and you literally see how many cameras there are, the fact that sometimes there's two people per camera, not even one, there is a lot that goes into it. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, I, I think we're going to see courts actually move uh, toward more virtual proceedings. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting uh, survey done. They were looking at technology spending by court systems and technology spending by court systems in general was down except in investment in video conferencing equipment, which was up substantially, which suggests to me that judges like it. And I don't Where their blame jammies them. under their robe. <laughs> <laughs> I think I used dropped the name Richard Susskind in in the previous session we did, but he is a well recognized guru, and he talks about courts being in the future more of a service and less of a place, hmm. which ought to be the case, right? I mean, courts are there 
really for only one reason, to provide a service to litigants to resolve disputes. That's what they do. And that's a service, not a place. And so I think, you know, I think courts, judges are going to like this world better. And it makes an impact on how how lawyers litigate, frankly. Mm -hmm. I've I've seen and heard many comment about it. When you're online, you're less uh, inclined to be grandiose and so adversarial and so manipulative. And I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe in part because you're sitting. Most time you're sitting down. You're not in a courtroom. True. But just the just the nature of how we watch each other online is just a little bit different. It is. It is different. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Somebody somebody blows up and starts screaming and yelling online. It's you get a different yeah. feeling. You don't see the completely. body. You don't see the the body. The actions. Yeah, the you hand don't movements. feel the emotion. You don't feel You're just it, kind no. of watching. So, with your your comment around the service, you know, offering the service, is it your opinion then that there's going to be a shift in the coming years from? the actual brick and mortar courthouses to that actually moving into studios instead of retrofitting courthouses with video, uh, instead courthouses moving to things like services, uh, studios, things like that, that has that equipment already. Do you, do you see that happening? As the pandemic goes on and we get more used to doing things that way and courts get more used to doing things that way, clients get more used to having things done that way. I think we'll see more of a shift. I mean, let's face it, you know, the courthouses are today are usually downtown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're hard to get to. Uh, oh, I hate parking you know, downtown. You've got to park. Uh, and, and just the utilities for these massive courtrooms. I mean, many courthouses were built for a time when, uh, let's face it, the trials for entertainment. And so you, you know, you'd have lots of people go to them, right? right. And yeah. so, you, you know, like my cousin Vinny, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody went to my cousin Wait, Vinny. that's really your cousin? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you got, you got these huge courtrooms with seating for, you know, 300 people, uh, high ceilings. <laughs> and how many people right. are, even, yeah. in a, even in a controversial trial, how many people are actually there? Yeah, that's very right. true. Yeah, well, the, the buildings are older, not wired yeah. for technology. Right. Yeah. So, well, and Brad, you probably don't know this, um, but we're so we're Stephen. We're building some mock courtrooms in our new office that we're moving to, and we've actually had a couple people reach out already. So, I think I think people realize that it's probably a possibility mm-hmm. that these aren't necessarily going to take place in the courtroom or or where they typically take place, and that things are changing, probably probably permanently at least yeah. to some extent. But I was just as surprised as you were, and I was like, man, we're not even done building yet. But I, right. I think it's just reality now, which is crazy. You know, everything has happened so quickly. And and here's sort of sort of the issue with that, and why what you guys are are doing building courtrooms is important. One of the problems with online judicial proceedings, particularly when you when you start talking about jury trials, which you know a lot of a lot of people say, oh, it'll never happen. You know, <laughs> well, it'll never happen until it does. Exactly. And, and, and there are and you better learn quick. Uh, virtual jury trials going on today, even as we speak, uh, in a lot of places. But one of the problems is we have this notion in, in this country of trial by a jury of your peers, which mm-hmm. means the community. Well, when you go online, now you've got the issue of segments of the community not having sufficient access to oh, internet and Wi-Fi yeah, to participate. So how are we going to deal with that? And maybe having sort of satellite facilities where people can go 
yeah. and have sound, reliable uh, internet access so they can participate could be an answer. Yeah. That's actually, when you said that, it, it made me wonder. I didn't even think about that. But I guess over this past year where we truly were forced to be 100% virtual, people were probably in a situation where they were dialing in, calling in from, from their homes and they may have choppy internet. Like what if they don't hear the entire story? Right. Um, That's right. Hmm. That's right. Interesting. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, it's it's not a reason to say don't do it, but it's a reason to, to think about how to how to deal with that kind of issue. Another yeah. issue that, you know, we, we have this concept that courts are open to the public. Once you go all online, what does that mean? And what does that look like? Right. Uh, a, li- a limiting factor, for example, is if it's a, if there's a controversial trial, you know, if you want to see it and maybe write something on Facebook about it, well, you've got to get in your car, you got to drive downtown, you got to pay to park, you got to go through security, you got to go to the courtroom, you got to sit there. And what happens in a courtroom? Well, at least 50% of a court day is spent with stuff you're not going to hear, right? Right. <laughs> Between resources and bench conferences and all that stuff. So, you know, that discourages people participating in courtroom proceedings. I mean, I'm all for transparency, but once you go to, okay, we're going to open it up online to anybody and everybody, you know, that's a Pandora's box in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because as as we have seen with, with attacks on public officials, Oh, uh, attacks. There could be attacks on judges, particularly state court judges. Not so much federal court judges. They're appointed for life. Yeah. State court judges. They have to run for re-election. And the example that I, I think I used was: remember the O.J. Simpson trial, which was broadcast on TV day mm-hmm. after day after day. Can you imagine if that happened today, and what the social media commentary would look like? Oh my God, the memes. It's, yeah, it's not pretty. <laughs> it's not pretty at all. Yeah. So you go over to the plus side, and there's huge plus sides. Expense, access to justice. Take a, an individual that has a claim that they want to get adjudicated, and it's not, you know, let's say it's a $10,000 claim. Well, not only do you have to pay a lawyer, but it's your own personal disruption. Let's say you're a small business, right? Basically, you have to shut down while you travel to the courthouse to try to get this resolved. Yeah. And like, you, like I said before, you spend, you know, three days of your time sitting there with not much happening. Shift that to an online proceeding, and now you've got the ability to do other things during these exactly. dead times. You don't have all this travel, so it opens up a possibility for people and businesses to have more access to justice. Or if you're a witness, you know, you're called as a witness in a proceeding, you know, a third party witness, like, are you kidding me? I got to right. go like sit and you really want me to like in, do that? Yeah. In front of all these or, people. Yeah. Or take the people that are most often forgotten in all of this, the jurors, you know, in my county, if you're called to jury service and I've been called several times, it is so disruptive because it's a two week term and you have to go, you sit in this big room with, you know, 500 other people and they draw your name out of a hat and you march off to a panel and you're probably going to get excluded. Then you go to go back and sit in the big room with crappy Wi-Fi, inability to do anything else. And of course, I work downtown, so, you know, I could at least go to and from the office. But right. I'm thinking to myself, 
what are all these, why are all these people doing this? Good God, is this a disruptive fact? And it's, you know, so, so if we shift that online, all of that becomes so much easier, but it's, you know, it's a balance of lots of things you have to consider. Yeah. Um, Either way. Anyway, I kind of got us a little off track there because you're you're asking about that. I'm taking it all in, but you're right. I mean, there's never going to be 100%. This is the, the best answer versus this is not the best answer. There's pros and cons of both, but I mean, even thinking just working from home, if you weren't if you weren't going to court you know working from home working remotely I mean Brad do you take an hour lunch okay if you took a lunch break no I'm just (laughs) kidding would you take an hour lunch break if you were working from home it just feels weird you know what I mean I think you you eat while you work and there's just so many ways to be more productive when you're not in the office you know like you said you don't have that commute you don't have people constantly stopping by and talking if you were in court you know you get a little break but it's like what do you do right you know you have other things you need to do you don't have time to actually dive into your work so I do definitely think there's there's a lot of pros to the remote work the remote litigation remote you know yeah I think well, and it's you know frankly it's one of the reasons I think people don't like lawyers <laughs> because because let's, I mean if you're involved in a judicial proceedings lawyers. it's like like we have no respect for you you don't count for anything it's okay for you to sit there and waste your whole day sitting Big yeah. deal. You don't have anything better to do. We, on the other hand, are lawyers, <laughs> judges, and we're very important. So just the optics of that are all wrong. Yeah. And that's another conversation we could have, I think. <laughs> yeah. But I tell people a lot when, we, when I get into these sort of discussions and debates, I say, okay, so, so you're looking at an online court system and you say, well, that won't do A, B, and C. Okay. Let's look at the system that we have. The system that we have may do A, B, and C, but it doesn't do X, Y, and Z either. It is a trade-off. You're, you're going to lose something, but you're going to gain something. And then just a knee-jerk and say, oh, we can't do that because I can't gauge the witness's demeanor. Yeah. I mean, okay. If you start looking at the surveys about how people determine if somebody is lying or not, you very quickly conclude that demeanor is not a very reliable predictor. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and, the, you know, it's, there's a there's a great book by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Talking with Strangers, and, and he makes that point. And one of the stories he, he tells is about uh, Neville Chamberlain and Winston Churchill in World War II. Uh, Neville Chamberlain went and met and eyeballed Adolf Hitler various times and believed what he was telling him, right? Uh-huh. Winston Churchill, on the other hand, never met Hitler, never eyeballed him, never looked at him. He just read what the guy was saying and said, this guy's lines are his teeth. The reason for that, as humans, we are programmed to want to believe each other. Yeah. You know, which we have to. We can, I mean, if I doubted everything that you guys told me, you know, we couldn't function. We couldn't have a podcast. That's that would be an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah. But so we're, so we're programmed to want to believe each other. And particularly when we are looking at one another, but when you look at the cold record, you start to say, well, now that I'm reading that, that yeah. really doesn't sound right. <laughs> so That's very true. Anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. 
So this is this. I'm going to ask you something just for my own curiosity. And when I read your post, I just kept thinking about it. So I've I've never been to court. I've never been in a jury. Knock on wood. And so I was just thinking about when you talked specifically about virtual hearings and how you have to share evidence virtually, how you have to share documents virtually, and people in in the jury have to be able to see that. And all I could think about is you know we have all these remote meetings. We use Team. We use Zoom. And you can generally see documents that people share, but sometimes you're like, I, I, I don't know what this is. I just need to see it in person. And it really made me think like, how do you actually have a successful hearing when you have to share documents virtually? I know that there's 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 software, there's vendors that help you with that. And I know technology has come a long way, but I just, I can't imagine having to share, you know, crime scene photos or documentation virtually with a jury and them feeling comfortable that they could accurately read that and make a decision based off that. It's sort of our nature to um, to not be able to appreciate that what what technology can do tomorrow will be so much better than what it can do today, right? Yeah. As the marketplace for online proceedings increases and you know, developers come in, we will have better tools, but there are tools right now. When when we first went to the online world, everybody was, you know, having to do virtual depositions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was, well, how do you how do you deal with the documents? I mean, you send all the documents to the witness in advance. Well, holy, he or she could see all the documents <laughs> and what you're going to add. Well, very quickly, court reporting services came up with platforms that allowed you to put all the documents in a platform and then pull them out and show them virtually to a witness without that witness ever having viewed them before, just like you do normally. I mean, it wasn't a radical concept. It was like, duh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. (laughs) I'll have all my documents in a secure place and I'll just pull them out when I want the witness to see them. I think there are ways that all of that can happen and happen seamlessly for jury jurors as well. At the tail end of my career, I was always a big believer in, in jury research because it always told me things that I, I wouldn't have known, uh, wouldn't have even guessed sometimes. So, but it was always a really expensive proposition right? because you, they had to rent a room, they had to hire all these jurors for a day, and you know it, it could get upwards of $50,000 real quick. Uh, but when, at the end, we began doing online jury research where we would have the uh, prospective jurors participate in the proceedings online. And we would do it just like we did before. We would show them documents. We would make arguments. You could see them on the screen. um, And then they would deliberate just like they would really do. And the amazing thing that I came up with that is they they all took it very seriously. I mean, you didn't see somebody getting on their phone or getting up and leaving. I mean, they sat there and they listened and they took it seriously. And they, they, when they deliberated, they deliberated very seriously and very meaningfully. And I came away from that and it was so much cheaper. It was like a, a fifth of the cost. And, and in talking to the providers, you know, I always used a particular provider I had a lot of trust in and talking to the, the research providers, their view, and they had actually done research to show that, that the results were pretty close. Uh, you know, results they online would come up with versus the in-person were A, pretty close to one another and B, pretty close to what an actual jury would do. So, so, you know, a high degree of confidence in the system. But I came away from that very enthusiastic and encouraged about 
what could be done online with jury trials and presentations to jury. And, you know, so, so yeah, are there hurdles? Uh, sure, there are hurdles, but that doesn't mean that we won't overcome them and yeah. you know, won't be able to. And, and as I say, I've heard from more and more lawyers, particularly in the last three months, about participation in online jury trials. And here's how it usually comes about. I mean, you have, let's say, two businesses that are involved in a dispute, and the judge says to them, look, uh, I know you guys want to get to a resolution of this because you need to go on with your business and your, your lives. We can't have an in-person trial. It's going to be at least two years. If everything goes really well, where you are in the queue, it'll be at least two years. Or I can give you a, a virtual jury trial next month. Yeah. And a, a lot of people yeah. are saying, I just need an answer, right? I mean, most businesses can deal with just about anything if they know what it's going to be and, and can predict it. I just need an answer. And that that's a lot of disputes are like that. Now, you know, if you're talking about d- the death penalty kind of case, maybe that's different. But there are a lot of even criminal cases. I, I had a debate with a criminal lawyer over this one time. She said, well, I, I would never consent to one of my clients having a jury trial for a criminal matter. And I said, well, okay, let's suppose you have a client that's, you know, guilty of larceny, right? And they don't have the funds. They're sitting in jail, right? (laughs) They're not out on bail. They can't afford to be out on bail. And so you would say to them, look, your choice is to wait two years and sit in jail, or your choice is to do it online and get an answer next month. Now, you know, you may go to prison or you may not, but at least you'll know. And a lot of those people would say, just yeah, get it done with, get it over with. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, that's uh, yeah. I'll trade. I'll trade a little of you know what used to be the way we did things for a new way of doing it, to, just to get an answer. So you know, I think I think we're going to see you know yeah some some changes and differences, and maybe it won't be what it once was, but it'll be a way of, to getting to a resolution, which is what what people want out of courts when you get right down to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, so before we wrap today's episode up a little bit, thinking thinking through what's going to happen in the coming months and the coming years, and most likely there's going to be somewhat of a, a hybrid approach moving forward, even after the pandemic. Do you have like a, a handful of tips and tricks that you can provide to our listeners to really best adopt that hybrid approach that we're most likely going to be dealing with over the coming months? Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't have anything in specific. I mean, it's. Um, I think if you want to go to a hybrid approach, it's it's best to to think through if your case is really worth going that route, mm-hmm. because it's not going to be easy or simple. You're, you're probably going to have to have a provider. Uh, and there are providers out there. I mean, court reporters are, are getting into this business, for example, that can manage all the platforms and, and cameras and all the things you might need. Opus mm-hmm. Opus One, which is the one I did the story on, does this. And, and they would tell you. Uh, and in fact, I think I said in the article, I quoted it from saying, this is not made for every case. I mean, you, you it just can't be. It's, it, it's too cumbersome and expensive. So I think, you know, you, you need to think through and through whether it's worth it, and then you need to think through whether your participation and exposure in the case would justify you being virtual as opposed to in person. Um, because, I mean, you know, I, as a mass tort lawyer, I, I would sometimes represent clients that, you know, were sort of 
had limited involvement, right? I mean, they were there because of their name or who they were. They really, the chances of them paying a lot of money, a lot of money were pretty low. Well, that's one thing versus I've had clients in those cases where they had tremendous exposure. I mean, they were, appeared to be one of the more culpable parties. Well, in those kinds of situations, if, if it was the, the latter, I would say, I don't think it's a good thing for you to participate virtually in a hybrid proceeding. If it's the former, that's a consideration, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's a lot cheaper and, you know, the, the weighing of the risks and rewards might might tell you to do something differently. So it's, um, it, you know, it's never going to be a one-size-fits-all, but in the right time, in the right place, you know, it's a possibility. Yeah. Those would be my tips. <laughs> Perfect. I like it. Yeah. And, and where can our listeners uh, learn more about your, your blog posts? Techlaw Crossroads. Dot com? Dot <laughs> com. That's right. Dot com. And it's, you know, there's, uh, I've written several times on, on this online phenomenon. Uh, so there's several articles on there about it. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's going to be something that we see more of just because, I mean, let's face it, when the bottleneck, when the pandemic ends, there's a huge bottleneck. So that's going to be a problem. And in the meantime, um, you know, some people, there are some trials going on in person, but when you listen to the lawyers that have been involved in them, it's a nightmare. You've got sure, jurors yeah. that are sitting 50 feet away, mm. you know, at least 10 to 20 feet yeah. distance from one another. You've got the judge way up here. You've got the lawyer way over. I mean, it, it's it's horrible. Yeah. I, it is. It is the, right now, it is the worst of all worlds, in my opinion, because you, you can't see anybody. You can't, you know, the advantage to being in person is the body language and all that. Well, if you're 50 feet away. Hard to see. You, yeah. Hard to see, you know. God forbid you're hard of hearing, you know what I mean? Yeah, right, right, right. I can't right. even so, sit this far away from Brad in our podcast and, you know, <laughs> we're not that far apart, but we are more than six feet apart. That's right. Yeah. And you have to have, wear uh, headphones to hear each I know. <laughs> I can't, all my other senses just go in, go in the trash with these headphones on. I can't smell. I can't see. There's just, I don't know. <laughs> all right, Stephen, thank you again so much. You were really my great pleasure. to have on the show and hopefully we can have you back sometime. I'd love to do it anytime. That's it's been a, a lot of fun and uh, there you go. <laughs> it was so fun to meet you. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for tuning into another episode of the Lex Factor and we'll talk to you next time. Next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.